0: Time once again for another look into God's infallible book, and we welcome, welcome you to our uh, study today on the riches of grace. This program is brought to you by Christian people who believe the Bible to be the Word of God and who appreciate its power and authority. It's my privilege to welcome you. I'm Richard Jordan, uh, the, the host and Bible teacher each week, and uh, I've often said it's, it's a pleasure to, to join uh, one of the most biblically intelligized audiences in all of Christian radio. And I don't say that because we have the most uh, uh, members of Mensa in our audience, or that we have the most advanced academic degrees. I say it because when you understand God's word rightly divided, you have a capacity to have wisdom, knowledge, and understanding in a spiritual, in the spiritual realm, that goes way beyond. Anything that is is, is normally uh, assumed to exist. Paul says in Second Timothy chapter two and verse eight. Uh, cons- remember, uh, verse seven rather. Consider what I say, and the Lord give the understanding in all things. When you consider what God's word has to say, when Paul says, consider what I say. He says that in verse 7. You go down to verse 15. He says, Study, to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. When he talks about rightly dividing the word of truth, that's what we call dispensational Bible study. That is, it's not enough just to study the Bible. You have to rightly divide the Bible. There are distinctions in the program of God, in the various programs of God through, through history, that you have to recognize, know, and understand. For example, we all know that there's a man in the Bible called Noah. God told Noah to build a boat, and he did that by faith to the saving of his house from the wrath of God in the flood. Now, what God told Noah about building the boat, about the flood, and about salvation from the flood by getting in the boat, the ark, You know that that's a a truth in the Bible. It was something that was important, and Noah had to do it, or the whole universe would have been destroyed. He did do it. He obeyed it. But you know that you wouldn't go back to Genesis chapter 6 and 7 and 8 and try to say, Well, God, it was good enough for Noah. It's good enough for me. I think I'll do that, and try to redo that today. Strangely enough, I was... uh, some years ago, I was down in Florida, and I was in a, in a Bible conference, and uh, because our television program was on in the area, one of the local TV programs invited me to come and be interviewed at a, in a noon, uh, kind of one of these noon shows that they have on local TV stations. And when they did it, they did it on a Friday, and they taped all five programs for the next week. And my pro, my turn was going to be like the third session. And the, the fellow who was being interviewed bef- for the day before me actually... Was building Noah's Ark in Virginia, and he had a big model and a and a uh, video of it and all this stuff. And I'm I'm you know I'm sitting there waiting my turn and I'm watching that and I'm thinking, you're building Noah's Ark in Virginia, and the, what he was doing he was out at this TV station he was out around the country he had run out of money and he was out trying to raise money to help him build Noah's Ark. Now. I never did figure that thing out. I listened to him, talked to him afterward. Nice guy. But God told him to go build Noah's Ark. You know what? No, God didn't. That was just some hyperventilation that he had. Old J. Vernon McGee used to say he ate too much pizza that night. And uh, God never told him. God told Noah to build that. And you know good and well you don't go back and take Genesis and try to apply it in the 21st century. Why? Well, it's in the Bible. But you have to rightly divide the Bible. You have to recognize there's certain things in the Bible that meant for others and not for you. You're not the only person. We're not the only people in the program of God. Other people in other ages and other dispensations deserve a part of the Bible that's appropriate and adequate for them, just like you and I do today. And it's the height of hubris for you to say, well, all the Bible's mine. I won't claim any part of it. It's all God's Word. It's all mine. That's just nonsense. Now, maybe that's what makes your you know floats your boat. Well, okay, that's fine. You say, well, I don't think y'all talk that way, brother Rick. Well, okay. Listen, you wait about half an hour, and somebody else will be on here and talking the way they want to. Uh, but the fact is that nobody in their right mind, thinking clearly and thinking with any common sense, would think you just go anywhere in the Bible, pick out information. When Paul says rightly divided, we all know that we need to do, we need to put the things that make the distinctions in the Bible that God's made in His Word. And Paul said if you want to have real understanding in these things consider what I say because Paul said I speak to you gentiles and as much as I am the apostle of the gentiles I magnify my office There's a there's a particular message a particular place in God's word where he has put his information for you and for me today and that's especially in the epistles of the apostle Paul all the bible's for us But all of the Bible is not about us. We are not red-letter Christians. You know, if you go back into the red letters of your Bible where Jesus' words put in red, you know what he'll tell you in Matthew 10? He commissioned his apostles with the great commission in Matthew 10 when he first made them apostles, and he gave them a commission. And the commission in Matthew 10 begins with their commissioning there and extends all the way out to the kingdom. Go back and read it, the whole chapter, And it it starts in verse 5 and goes all the way through the second coming of Christ and into the kingdom. He told them in in verse 22, he said, You will not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man become, going to come set up his kingdom. He tells them about Pentecost, the Spirit coming on us. That commission covers the whole of their ministry. And you know where it started? Matthew 10, verse 5, he says to the twelve, Go not into the way of the Gentile, and into any city of the Samaritans enter you not, but go rather and preach to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach say, kingdom saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Did you know, if you go back in the red letters, he says specifically, don't preach to the Gentiles. And when a little Gentile woman came to him, Matthew 15, and asked him to help her daughter, he didn't even answer. The disciples came to him and said, Send her away because she cries after She's driving us nuts. Go do something, Lord. And he looked at his disciples and said, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now that's probably verses you never read before, isn't it? You know, I've met preachers that have been preaching for 30 years and never face those verses. They read them, take an aspirin, go to bed, and hope the next morning they get up and they go away. But those verses you have to consider. You so say, How do you handle that, brother? Rick? You're rightly divided. You understand that Jesus Christ is a minister of the circumcision minister of the nation, Israel, to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. That was his program then. Things have changed since then. He went back to heaven, sent his, so he reached down, saved the, the leader of the world's rebellion, Saul of Tarsus, and made him the apostle to the Gentiles, the apostle of the Gentiles, Romans eleven thirteen. You see, he's doing something different today than what he was doing back then. What he was doing in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's That which is spoken by the mouth of all the holy prophets since the world began. Jesus over and over would do something in the Scriptures that it might be fulfilled. That what the Old Testament said might be fulfilled. That it might be fulfilled. Part of the prophetic program. Paul said he's preaching Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, Romans 16.25, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest. Now you think about that. Something that was... Prophesied, preached about, made known since the world began. Some that was kept secret, not prophesied, not talked about since the world began, they aren't the same. A six year old kid that flunked kindergarten can get that. You say, but I don't see it, Brother Rick. Preacher says, Well I don't get listen, you don't need a college education to understand this. It might be a hindrance if you have one. You don't need to know anything about Greek or Hebrew to get this. All you need is a King James Bible, and just a little thoughtful reading of the English text. And when you see that, you'll say, Oh, right division helps <laughs> dispensational bible study clears up confusion that is uh, 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 so often and so current in the minds of so many people because of the mixing of God's word mixing it together and if you look at second peter chapter number 3 the apostle peter talks about what happens when you take Paul's epistles and you mix them up, you rest them, twist them up with all the other word, all, all the other scriptures. Second Peter 3, verse 15, Peter says, "An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking of them of these things, in which there are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as do also the other scriptures, under their own destruction." You see, when you twist Paul's epistles together, mix them together with all the other part of the Word of God, Peter says you're unlearned and you're unstable. You're unlearned. You have an ignorance about what God's Word says, and you produce unstableness. You produce a lack of ability to be grounded, and you wind up being tossed to and fro by everyone of doctrine. Well, the the remedy for that is to understand the mystery of Christ revealed to and through the Apostle Paul. One of the places that you can see that rear its head is in the issue of prayer. People talk about uh, uh, you need to pray that. What do you need to get saved? You need to pray the sinner's prayer, or you need to pray the Hail Mary kind of thing. When the Bible says, by grace you are saved, through faith, not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Did you know that prayer is a work? If you're saved by grace, through faith, plus nothing, just your faith resting in the the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary for your salvation, you don't need to pray some so-called sinner's prayer. You don't need to pray a Hail Mary, Mother of God, prayer. By grace you save, through faith, that not of yourself. Prayer is a work. A lot of folks never consider that. Colossians chapter 2, verse number 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always, listen, laboring fervently for you in prayers. Notice Epaphras is laboring fervently for the Colossians how by praying for them. Prayer is identified in your Bible as a work that believers are to do. Second Corinthians chapter 1 verse 11. ye also ye, ye also helping together by prayers for us. The Corinthians are helping Paul's ministry. They are laboring together with him. How? By prayers for him. Romans chapter 15, verse 30. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. They the Romans are asked by Paul to strive together not just work but to labor to the point of exhaustion in your prayers to God for me. I mean we can go on and on. Prayer in the Bible is a work. And works don't save you. Therefore listen to me, prayer won't save you. Now, I know by just saying that, I'm going to rattle some cages. <laughs> I'm going to get some folks all fired up. But listen, it's also going to rattle some cages, open up some doors, and set some people free. The first thing people say, well, if you don't have to pray the sinner's prayer, and you don't have to pray the Our Father prayer, or you don't have to pray the Hail Mary prayer, what about Romans ten thirteen? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, you know, that's a great verse. But did anybody ever notice that it's followed by verse 14, which asks the question, How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Before you call, what do you have to do? You have to believe. And the calling is the response of the believing heart. Well, by grace you're saved through faith, through believing, and once you believe, then what happens? That believing heart can call. You say, but why does it say, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? Well, the reason is, verse. look back up to verse number 9 and 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, are not the gospel today. Tens of millions of gospel tracts have gone out around the world teaching what is called the Romans road. No, I don't have a problem with that. They can do that. The book of Romans is a book of salvation, written specifically in the Bible by the apostle Paul to explain salvation in the dispensation of grace for you. Here's your apostle explaining your salvation. But that's not what he's doing in Romans chapter 10. He does that in Romans chapter 1. 2, 3, 4, and 5. You see, the book of Romans is actually in four sections. The first five chapters, he deals with justification by grace through faith plus nothing, and the security that that gives you in in Christ Jesus. Then in chapter 6, 7, and 8, he deals with your sanctification, you being set apart under God in Christ for a particular purpose. Then in chapter 9, 10, and 11, he explains what happened to the nation Israel when God set them aside and began to form a new agency, the body of Christ. And then in chapter 12 to 16, he gives some practical instructions about how to live the grace life. So if you want to know about salvation in the sense of justification, you go back to Romans chapter 1 to 5. When you're in Romans 9 to 11, you're talking about what happened to the nation Israel in chapter 10, verse number 9, for example, that if you start, in, in, in fact, you, you really ought to start in verse 1, when he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. He does that, he starts that in chapter 9. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness, and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish myself accursed from Christ, watch, for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now that's such an abrupt change from what he was talking about in chapter 8, you can't miss that the topic's changed. And he's talking about the fact that God has cut off the nation Israel, his concern about them, and his heart's desirous that they might be saved. And he's explaining through these chapters what happened to the nation Israel and why God was just and righteous and right in setting them aside. It had nothing to do with God's word not working. It had nothing to do with God, God's uh, righteousness or fairness. It had to do with the fact that Israel, when God would send them his word, they wouldn't respond in faith. They went about trying to establish their own righteousness and wouldn't submit themselves to the righteousness of God. And he comes down through chapter five, and he chapter ten rather, and he describes how when Israel would quote the law, it was really talking about Christ. Jesus told them, "If you'd believe Moses, you'd believe me, because he wrote of me." And they weren't paying attention. So when you come to ten eight, chapter ten verse eight, but what what saith it? That is the righteousness of faith. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Where is it? It's in thy mouth and in your heart. You're saying it, Israel, when you quote the scripture. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Notice they have to confess with their mouth and believe with their heart. Well, that's in the verses before that. That's exactly what Israel was doing when they read the Scripture. They just weren't believing what they read. Now look at verse 10, Romans 10, because 10, here's a verse cleared up for you. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. Notice how he changed the order there. Because with the heart, man believes to righteousness. There's justification. You see, in the passage, justification is is like it always is. Only, somebody says, well, my faith justify me? No. Will your works justify you? No. Who justifies you? God does. Romans 8.33, it is God that justifieth. And God never imputes righteousness to anyone except those who put faith in his word. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness. When you believe unto righteousness, you're justified. With the mouth of confession is made to salvation. Then that salvation that he's talking about is not being justified before God. It's a different kind of salvation. It's something beyond and beside justification. You say, well, then, what is it, Brother Rick? Well, look at what he does. He for For the Scripture saith... Verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Who's he talking about getting saved in this chapter? Verse 1, my heart desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. We're talking about the program of God for the nation Israel. And that's why he says in verse 9 that they must confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus. They needed to believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah and confess that. And believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead because that was the testimony of His uh, of his Messiahship. But the issue of justification is quite different. So Romans chapter 10 was never meant to be a part of a track to tell a Gentile in the dispensation of grace how to be justified. If you want that, you go back to Romans chapter 3. Romans 3:21, he says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. Now there's the issue. For all his sin, for there's no difference, for all his sin to come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption of sin in Christ Jesus, whom God has sent forth to be a propitiation through faith. That word propitiation means a completely satisfying payment. Through faith in his blood, God the Father looks at his Son at Calvary when he was made sin for you, and he said, The cross work of Jesus Christ completely pays for sin. Now, to declare verse 26, he says, I set say this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. God's just because all of our sins are justly, righteously, completely, and totally paid for at Calvary. When Jesus Christ died at Calvary, he was God in human flesh, in your flesh, in my flesh, dying. Suffering in his soul, when his soul was made an offering for your sin, he suffered the transformation in his inner man that the Bible calls the second death, eternal death, and he did it for you. And God made him to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Romans chapter 4, verse number 24, verse 25, He, he says, Who was delivered? for our offenses, and was raised again for our justification. Chapter 8, verse 32, he says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall I not with him also freely give us all things? God commended his love toward you, and that while you were yet a sinner, Jesus Christ died for you. Why? Because you were without strength. And when you were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for you. He didn't do it when you were strong. He did it when you were weak. He didn't do it when you were repenting, trying to turn over a new leaf and get right. He did it while you were yet a sinner. Yet a sinner. And Jesus Christ died, and God the Father says, His death is the satisfying payment for your sin. That's what I believe. What do you believe? I'm just. I can justly, every sin dealt with, give you my righteousness. When you believe, when you rely exclusively on in Jesus, That's one of the very few places in Paul's epistles that he ever refers to the Lord Jesus Christ as Jesus. Usually he'll call him Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, or the Lord Jesus, or the Lord Jesus Christ. But when Paul just addresses him as Jesus, you need to take note, because there's something important going by there. And when he says believe in Jesus, he's talking about you need to trust the total Saviorhood of God's Son who died at Calvary for you. And when you put your faith exclusively in Him, then God save you. You'll never understand the Bible, you'll never understand salvation if you don't understand how to rightly divide it. That's why if you get over there in Romans and ten and you're trying to tell people now, now you need to pray the sinner's prayer, or you need to pray the Our Father, or you need to pray the Hail Mary, or you need to Repeat this prayer after me. Listen, if a person hasn't put their faith exclusively in Jesus Christ, all of that's nonsense. All of that is useless religious effort. That's why time and again you ask somebody, how do you know you have eternal life? And they'll say, well, I prayed. I walked the aisle. I went to church. I was baptized. I took the sacraments. I did catechism. On and on and on they go. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. There is something you have to do to be saved. You have to believe. And that's why Paul says in Romans 3.27, where's the boasting then? It's excluded. By what law of works? Nay. But by the law of faith. Faith is the only thing you can do without doing anything. Because to him that works not, but believes, his faith is counted to him for righteousness. You know, that's a... That's saying a lot. I understand that. Can I give you a free Bible study? It's entitled, Why Prayer Will Not Save You. Prayer's a work, friend, and your works won't save you. What saves you is your faith alone, resting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you this free Bible study. You can have a CD or a DVD, either one, and I'll be glad to give it to you with my compliments. You call me here at our toll-free number, 888-535-2300. That's 888-535-2300. And you ask for the free Bible study, uh, Why Prayer Will Not Save You. And you tell the folks you want a CD or a DVD, and they'll be glad to get you whichever one you ask for. That number again is 888-535-2300. We're certainly glad that uh, you join us each week like this. You know, th- this is—it's a privilege for us to be able to share these things with you. And as I, as I say to you, week after week, we're not trying to get you to join anything. We're not trying to, we're trying, not trying to get you to uh, do something for us. We don't have a denomination for you to be a part of. We just want you to—we want to proclaim to you, talk to you about Jesus Christ out of a book called the Bible, the King James Bible, and we want God's word to work effectually in you because you believe it. And you know, one of the joys of our life is the fact that there are there are people in, in your area where you're listening to this radio program. This program is broadcast on a number of markets around the United States. And in every market where it's broadcast, there is a local group of people who help us put this program on the station, who are In agreement, they understand God's Word rightly divided. They study each week. They meet together each weekend. They take a King James Bible. They study it rightly divided. And for them, the the grace life, Christ in you, the hope of glory, is the issue. Not some religion, not some works program, but who God has made us in Christ, living in us and through us, because our confidence is in God's Word. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul says that the word, it's the Word of God that works effectually in you that believe. Can I tell you that there are people right in your neighborhood, I say that so you understand, you don't just have to listen to the radio. There are people in your neighborhood that would do you good if you call us at 888 535 2300, we'll put you in touch with these folks in your area, and you can be a part of a, of a group of people who believe uh, the Bible to be the Word of God, who appreciate its power of authority, who understand how to rightly divide it, and who understand how to make grace, the grace life, the issue in their life. There is a gospel you can believe. There is a Bible you can trust. There is a study you can understand. There is a life you can live, and there is a purpose. That you can fulfill, and there are folks right in your area that can help you in in, in those things. If that's if those things are in, in, important to you, listen. You rob yourself and your family of a spiritual heritage by not being a part of that. 888-535-2300. You call us, and we'll put you in touch with the folks that are in your area. If you're in a place where you can't get out. You're housebound, or you don't have the opportunity to go places. Can I tell you that we, on the weekend, on Sundays and Wednesdays, in our ministry, I pastor a, a, a very active church in the Chicagoland area. Um, we put all of our services on the internet, we webcast them live. We also archive them for future uh, viewing. If you go to our website, graceimpact.org, graceimpact, one word, graceimpact.org, you'll find at 9.30 at 10.45 and 6 p.m. on Sunday and 7.30 on Wednesday night, and these are central times, uh, you'll find our broadcast available where you can study live with us. If you'd like to, if you need to do it, you know, look at them after we've done them, there'll be links that will put you to places where you can see the archived versions of these studies. Can I tell you that we're trying to make God's Word available? We're trying to put it out there where you can get a hold of it and where it can be real in your life. That's our purpose. And we're happy to spend and be spent to make that possible. 888-535-2300. That's the number to call if you need information. Graceimpact.org is the place to go on the Internet if you uh, would like to see uh, our – join us for our live studies or archive ones. And uh, you can find other information about us and about Grace School of the Bible. If you're interested in being a real in-depth student of God's Word, go there and look at the information about Grace School of the Bible. It's a unique program. The curriculum is Bible-based, pauline right division-based. It's not the standard systematic theologies that you get in, in schools that only produce the confusion that you see about you on every hand. But you can have God's Word – as the basis of your faith, graceimpact.org, 888-535-2300 is a number to call. Thanks for being with us today. Till next time, Maranatha.